Amen. This morning as we begin our time in God's Word, I'm going to ask you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Before we begin to look at some of the truths I want us to see from that passage and other passages, as you know, we're two Sundays away from celebrating Easter. We'll celebrate Easter sunrise service and our morning worship service on that day. As we think about that, as we're thinking about the resurrection of Christ, the death of Christ here on these Sunday mornings leading up to that, we know that the Old Testament to the New Testament teaches us about the death and the resurrection of Christ. In the Old Testament, we can go back and see where the Lord God of Israel made a promise that a descendant of David would sit on the Davidic throne where he would rule forever. We come into the New Testament and we see that that descendant of David was identified as none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is true that he will be that descendant of David that will sit upon the throne of David as the promised Messiah of Israel, as the promised really Messiah and Savior of this world. And we know that to be the case and that will be true because Jesus came and lived and he died and he rose again on the third day. Not only that, we're told from God's word from the Old Testament to the New Testament that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Not his sins because we know that he was not only the son of David and the son of man, but that he also was the son of God. And he lived without sin. He lived without ever sinning. Then he voluntarily, in obedience to the will of his father, went to the cross, and he gave his life on the cross for our sins. He became sin for us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and we might live to righteousness. So before we really jump into what I want us to say, look at this morning, the first question I want to ask you this morning is this, have you believed in Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord. That's why I want to take a moment, look here in 2 Corinthians 5. Beginning in verse 14, where the Apostle Paul is speaking about redemption. He's speaking about salvation. And he's speaking about it from, a, from various angles. Notice what he says there in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Beloved, I wanted to start here. Because again, I wanted you to see when we read through those verses the need of salvation and what we mean by salvation. When I ask you the question, have you believed in Jesus? Maybe another way to ask that is this. Is have you experienced redemption? Have you had the righteousness of Christ imputed to you? Have you been reformed by the transforming grace of God? Have you been regenerated by the Spirit of God? Have you been reconciled to God? Because you see, when we look at this passage here, that is all included in what Paul has shared here with the church at Corinth. Because this is the expression of Christ's love for them. This idea of redemption. Have you been, have you experienced redemption by the propitiation of Christ, by the work of Christ? We see that there in verse 14. The love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Have you experienced redemption because of the propitiation of Christ, of Christ laying his life down on the cross, whereby he was bearing our sins upon himself? Do you have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you? Look down in verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Christ, who never sinned, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Beloved, you need the imputation of the righteousness and the life of Christ given, credited to you. Because without that, you will never, ever be acceptable in the sight of God. You will never have standing with God. It's only through the righteousness of Christ being credited to you. It's only through the, the death of Christ whereby he was satisfying the wrath of God and taking God's full fury and wrath upon himself that you can have your sins forgiven and cleansed and wiped away. Do you know the reconciliation that comes through a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Paul says there again, look back in verse 18 and 19 and 20. It is God who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ. There's no other way of being reconciled to God except through Christ. Why? Because it is Christ who died 
for us. It is Christ who became sin for us. It is Christ who lived for us. Thus, there's no other path to reconciliation with God. And He gave us this ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us this word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Understand, beloved, in salvation, you need to be Credited with the righteousness of Christ. You need to have your sins forgiven and you need to be reconciled to God because you are naturally as a sinner separated from God. You're separated from Him. You're, you're separated from Him because of your sins and your, your sinfulness. And you have no way of being reconciled to Him. You can't go out and earn it with God. Because remember what, this is our message that we preach. God was in Christ bringing reconciliation. God was in Christ bringing reconciliation. It is God who reconciles us to Himself through Christ. Only through Christ. That's our message. Have you embraced that message? where your only hope of being made right and reconciled to God and you're having now a relationship with God is only through His Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that is true for you, that you have experienced that reconciliation, that redemption, that righteousness that would be credited to you. Not only that, beloved, you need to be regenerated. You need to have regeneration come to you by the Spirit of God. As Paul says there, you look back in verse 16 and 17, Therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person, I don't care who it is, they are a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the, the, the gift, the regeneration that is imparted to someone in putting their faith in Christ. They become a new person, a new creature, new desires. This is a part of the salvation. When I ask you the question, have you believed in Jesus? Have you believed in Jesus? But notice also, there is a, a reformation. There is a transformation that takes place and that will continue to take place in the person's life. Follow closely what Paul says here because this is where we're going to focus the, most of our time this morning. He says there that you have concluded the person 
who is being controlled by the love of Christ, we're going to see in a moment, has concluded that he died for all, therefore all died, and that he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So let me ask you this question again, but let me ask it a little differently. It's this. Have you concluded that Christ died for you? Now you put your trust in his death and his resurrection as your only hope of redemption, your only hope of reconciliation with God. Whereby you're depending on nothing else. You're not depending on a baptism. You're not depending on good deeds or a good life. You're not depending on a membership in a church. You're not depending on anything except the death of Christ. He died for me, his resurrection, and you're depending on his righteousness being credited to you. That's your only hope. But let me ask it another way. Is Christ's love for you that he has expressed through his life and death and resurrection, is that what influences you in your life? Is that what compels you in your life? Is that what drives you in your life in how you live? You see, what Paul says here is, is that they, they who have come to this conclusion about the death and the resurrection of Christ, they no longer live for themselves. They live for Christ who died and rose again on their behalf. Is that true of you? You notice he says, the love of Christ. Look back in verse 14. The love of Christ controls us. It's what's moving me. In my decisions that I make, in the life that I'm living, the choices I'm taking, everything in my life, it is Christ's love for me that is controlling me. So much so that now my life is different. And of course, it has to be different. Why? As we said in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. All things have passed away. New things have come for them. Something radically different is about their life. Now, what we're going to see is, that doesn't mean sin is no longer present in our life. It is. But now because we have been born again and we have a new nature and a new heart, we're a new person and a new creation in Christ, there are now new desires. There is a will, there is an appetite, there is an ability to want to follow Christ. It's saying here before a person is saved, how they live their life, they live their life according to themselves. And he's saying once they get saved, That saving grace doesn't just justify them in the sight of God. It's not just going to glorify them in the sight of God as we're going to see, but it also begins the process of sanctifying them, making them more like Christ. Beloved, I ask you again that question, is this what is true of you? 
because it's what is true of the believer. That's why I hope for some of you here this morning, this day, that you will respond as the Apostle Paul responded on that day when he had to swallow his pride and he had to acknowledge before God and before Jesus that he was wrong. That though he thought he was right with God and he was a zealous man and a religious man, he recognized that he was lost and he was still separated from God. He recognized he needed to be reconciled to God. He recognized his only hope was the righteousness of God. He recognized his only hope was the death of Christ on the cross for his sins. He recognized this was his only hope. And that day, that moment, he repented of his sins and he put his full faith in Jesus Christ. And I hope that would be true of some of you here today. Because I hope none of you will be like far too many of the Jews in the days of Jesus who knew he was the Messiah, knew he was the Savior. But fear, fear of man, fear of what others may think, what others may say, what others may even do to them, would not come and acknowledge him as their Savior and Lord. Or I hope none of you would be here today would be like King Agrippa, who had knowledge of the Scriptures. And when the Apostle Paul stood before him and began to share his testimony, and as he shared his testimony, he shared the gospel there before King Agrippa. And King Agrippa came under such conviction. He was there and he knew what Paul was saying was right. But he would not step forward. That is, he would not take that step of faith and say, Paul, I believe. I believe it, Paul. Instead, he would say, you've almost persuaded me, Paul. And fear kept him from coming to Christ. Oh, beloved, I pray that you will be, as Paul says there in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, that today is the day of salvation for you. That you will come to the Lord. Put your faith in him, in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Now, as we think about that, the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus came to take away sin. That is, he came to take away the penalty of sin, the presence of sin and the power of sin. The penalty of sin was taken away and has been taken care of by Christ and by Jesus himself for all those who will put their faith in him. Thus they are justified in the sight of God. Not only that, beloved, the presence of sin is being taken away and will be taken away fully by Jesus 
for all who believe in him, and that one day they will be glorified in the sight of God. But not only that, the power of sin has been, is, and will be taken care of by Christ, by Jesus, through his death and his resurrection for all who believe in him, which is what we're talking about here in our sanctification in Christ, our becoming more like Christ, putting off sin, becoming more like our Savior. You see, beloved, what I want you to understand is that the death, and even in particularly the resurrection of Jesus, Yes, it is about our eternal life, us getting to live with God forever after death. But understand, it is to have an impact, it is to have an influence in our life that we live right here, right now, today. Jesus came to take away the penalty of sin, the presence of sin, and the power of sin. You may ask the question, well, why is it that he needs to take away the power of sin? It's because, beloved, as the Bible describes for us, we're all born as sinners. And the Bible says, and Jesus himself is the one who said this, is those who commit sin are slaves of sin. Thus we're all naturally slaves of sin. Sin is our natural master. Thus we need to have sin and its power and its influence dethroned in our life. We need to have it defeated. We need to have it put to death. We, we need sin as our master and as our Lord to be dethroned and we need Jesus Christ to now become our Lord and our Savior. You see, what the Bible teaches us is that before a person is saved, that spiritually their ears are deaf. What the Bible teaches us is before a person is saved is that spiritually their eyes are blind. What the Bible teaches us is before a person is saved, they have a heart that is a heart of stone towards God. The Bible teaches us that a person is spiritually dead in their sins and trespasses. You can look over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3 and what you would see there is how the unbeliever lives their life. They live their life walking according to the system of this world, according to Satan and according to their own selfishness and sin. That's why when Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 5 that he died for all so that they would now no longer live for themselves but now begin to live for Christ. Live for the one who died and rose again on their behalf. Thus, we need that power of sin broken in our life. One of the scriptures teach us, as I mentioned a moment ago, over in 1 Peter in chapter 2 and verse 24, 
It says there that Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin. But listen to the last part of this. And live to righteousness. You see, it's supposed to affect the way we now live our life. That's our sanctification. In Titus 2 and verse 14, it says there, He gave up Himself for us to purify us, make us a possession of people for Him that would now be zealous for good deeds. So, beloved, Jesus came to take away the power of sin over our lives so that we even now in the here and now, though sin is still present, sin is still present around us, and yes, sin is still present in you, in your flesh. It doesn't disappear. That's why one day the full presence of sin will be removed from us when we are glorified and we receive our resurrected bodies. As long as we live in this body and in this life, we are going to have the presence of sin. But the good news for us as believers is, it's because of not only the death of Jesus Christ, but the resurrection of Christ, you have the ability to put to death sin by the power of God. That same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now is available to you. To put to death sin. That's why Paul can say we can now live our life for him. Let me just show you this very quickly in some places. Turn over now to the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 6. Go to Romans chapter 6. And the question that Paul is bringing up, Paul has been emphasizing, and rightfully so, you are saved by grace alone. You're saved by grace alone. By the divine intervention, the divine favor of God. And so Paul understands some are going to say, they're beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, well, what shall we say then? Are we just to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And the answer to that is, may it never be. Because how shall we, who have died to sin, still live in it? I mean, if we have truly, remember, Christ died for all, thus all die. If we have actually died to sin, how can we then say, well, let's just keep living in it? And the, quite, the answer from Paul is, may that never be. That is not going to be true of the truly born-again believer who, remember now, as we read there in 2 Corinthians 5, is a new person, new creature, new desires. All things have passed away, new things have come. Notice what he says beginning in verse 4. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into his death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so that we too might walk in newness of life. 
Notice Paul is saying there, Christ was raised from the dead to have an impact not only in our eternal life after death with God, but so that we too might right now, as we walk, as we live our life, live now in newness of life. That is, we have a different quality of life that we now live as believers by the resurrection power of Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, if you did that even here this morning, if you truly came to believe in Jesus Christ, you join in union with Christ, in union with His death, and in union with His resurrection, which means now this resurrection power of Christ enables you now to live a new life in Christ. And that newness there speaks of a quality of life Paul goes on to say there for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, you're supposed to, we're supposed to live our life considering ourselves now dead to sin, and now I'm alive to God. Whereas before, you were born again, before you put your faith in Christ, before you were reconciled to God, before you were redeemed by the work of Christ on the cross, before the righteousness of Christ was credited to you, you were a slave of sin. You were dead to God and alive to sin. But now that you've been born again, you are alive to God. And now you want to live that new life in Christ. But not in your own strength, not in your own power, not in your own wisdom. You want to live it by the strength of God, by the wisdom of God, by the power of God. The power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In fact, if you will for a moment, look over in Romans chapter 8. Go over to Romans chapter 8 for just a moment. You hear Paul is reminding them in verse 1, if you're in Christ Jesus, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. The penalty for sin has been completely, permanently removed. It has been removed from you. You are no longer under the condemnation of God. But please understand the flip side of that. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you are still under the condemnation 
of God. You need the penalty removed. And the only way that gets removed is if you run and hide under the cross and put your faith in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. If you have, then there's no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on to describe there the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. Verse 5, those who are according to the flesh, that's unbelievers, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, that's what Paul That's what Paul came to realize. Here is a man that had been serving pretty much his whole adult life until he met Jesus on that road to Damascus where he thought what he was doing was pleasing God. He was a religious, moral, zealous man. And what he realized on that day was He was in his flesh, thus there was nothing he was doing that was pleasing God. And he realized God was pleased. God was fully satisfied in his son that he sent into this world to live and to die on that cross. And he knew, he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was satisfied and pleased with him because God raised him from the dead on the third day declaring it. And so Paul says, I'm abandoning everything else and just running to Christ. God's pleased with him. I know he's pleased with him. And I'm going to put my faith in Christ. And if I put my faith in Christ, now God will be pleased with me. Because he sees me through his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 9, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit, notice, is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him, and notice, it's the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, takes up resonance in you. Remember what Jesus taught his disciples? He taught them over in the Gospel of John. We see in John 14 and John 16, Jesus says, look, he said, men, it's to your advantage I leave. It's to your advantage that I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised again. It's even to your advantage I ascend back to heaven. Why? Because... It's to your advantage that I die and I'm raised from the dead because when I am and I send back to heaven, I'm going to send back to you the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit's not just going to be with you, He's going to be in you. He's going to take up permanent abode, permanent resonance in your heart, in your life. And notice what He's saying. It is the Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The most amazing, powerful display of the power of God raising Jesus from the dead. Now this Spirit of God dwells in you. 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, because you know this is true, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body and you will live. My point is this. When you think about your sanctification and you think about the resurrection of Christ, it is the Spirit of Christ who raised Jesus from the dead that now lives inside of you. And by His power, beloved, you can continue to put to death sin in your life. Become more like Christ. It may be some sins in your life that you are struggling with that have such a stranglehold over you. But beloved, I want you to understand if the Spirit of God could raise Jesus from the dead, He can help you overcome that sin. That power is more than enough to address any sin in our lives. And as a follower of Christ, think about what we're called to do. We're called to witness for Christ. We're called to worship Christ. We're called to work for Christ. Well, how do we do all those things? By the power of the Spirit of God who dwells in us, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We worship in the Spirit of Christ. We witness by the Spirit of Christ. We work by the Spirit of Christ. It's the resurrection. It's our resurrection with Christ that not only empowers us, but motivates us to pursue Christ-likeness. As it says over Colossians 3, having been raised with Christ, seek the things above. And if you're seeking the things above, then you're looking to put off sin. You're looking to become more like Christ. If you have put your full faith in Christ, if you have seen your only hope of reconciliation is in Christ because God was in Christ reconciling the world through himself, not counting their trespasses against them, if you know your only hope of being reconciled is by God through Christ, if that's true of you, then as Paul says there again back in 2 Corinthians 5, then you have concluded that, and not only in that conclusion have you concluded your only redemption is in Christ, you also now want to live no longer for yourself, but live for Christ. And if you're wanting to live for Christ, then you're wanting to seek the things above. And if you're wanting to seek the things above, then you are wanting to put off sin become more like Christ. So here's how I would pull this together for us. One is for you just to reflect on your own heart and life and ask this question, am I living this way? Is this the way I'm living my life? 
Is Christ's love for you what is compelling you, controlling you, influencing you in your life? You say, no, not the way I really want it to. Well, here's the good news. You need to reflect more and more on the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ and see the love of Christ that's on display there and let that motivate you to love Christ more. Think about the resurrection power of Christ that now dwells in you in the person of the Holy Spirit and be encouraged Don't be discouraged. You don't have to leave here defeated. You can leave here encouraged and motivated knowing that I have by the grace of God, the Spirit of God living in me, that Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and I can submit myself to the Spirit of God and submitting myself to the Spirit of God. Beloved, I can walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and not do the the desires of the flesh. But do the desires of the Spirit. And I can no longer live for myself, but live for Christ. I can win the victory in Christ by the power of the resurrection of Christ and the person of the Spirit of God who dwells in me. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.